Today on episode 811 of CXO Talk, we're talking with John Fryer. He is the president of the consumer group at T-Mobile, and we're discussing customer experience, brand strategy. I lead the entire consumer group at T-Mobile, which is all of our customer-facing teams, our retail teams, our customer care teams, all of our operations teams, go-to-market teams, and work closely with our marketing strategy and products teams to bring new value propositions to our growing base of 118 million customers around the country. Give us some context about your focus on customer experience and your on-carrier strategy, which has been very disruptive over the last number of years. We started this back in March of 2013, and it was really about taking a you know hard look at what we considered to be a broken arrogant and stupid industry that wasn't for you know customers at all it was really for writing the rules of the two largest carriers that were out there and back during that time we were i just told you we have 118 million customers back during that time we had less than 30 million total customers um, we were a very small player in the space we just came off of a failed acquisition with AT&T. AT&T was going to buy T-Mobile in 2011. That came to a halt at the end of 11. And then in 2012, we found ourselves in a place where, you know, we had, you know, declining subscribers, declining revenues, increasing costs. And, you know, two people came in to really help turn this company around. And that was our then CEO, John Ledger, and our current CEO, Mike Sievert. And we kicked off this uncarrier revolution as a way to go disrupt the marketplace, listen to customers, and tap into the incredible frustration and the increasing frustration that consumers and businesses had over you know, taking an incredible utility like wireless mobile communications and being trapped in so many ways, trapped in contracts, trapped in, I can't upgrade when I want, trapped in overages and limited data buckets. And we saw a huge opportunity and we've done a lot of good throughout the country with this whole uncarrier philosophy. When you approach an industry and try to drive this kind of disruption, and I know you're continuously trying to do that, what's involved? The real premise for what we kind of do is we have an enormous amount of customer feedback. We have a lot of customer feedback through, you know, all kinds of avenues in terms of how we listen to customers and how we gauge consumer sentiment. And then we have, you know, in our company, a tremendous number of frontline employees between, you know, tens of thousands of people that work in our retail stores and tens of thousands of people that work into our customer experience centers. We get lots of feedback from our teams. I have people email me every single day, multiple times per day, people on the front line giving me feedback. And we take that along with all the data and all the telemetry that we have around the customer experience, we get a lot of insights from that. And then we start thinking through, okay, well, what, what do customers really want? What are really the pain points that are still out there? And what can we help them with? And, you know, when you think back at the beginning and the genesis of the Uncarrier Revolution, the first thing we heard is customers are stuck in these contracts. And, you know, when I 
purchase a cell phone from a company, I'm locked into a multi-year contract and I'm trapped. And then the next thing we heard was, hey, when I want to upgrade my phone, I'm I'm you know bound by the laws and the regulations of what the carriers have put on top of me. And then I tell you the third one that you know was really disruptive is the feedback that we started hearing from customers that anytime I go out of the United States, if I go to Europe or if I go to Asia or I go to anywhere else outside of the United States, every time I turn my phone on, I might risk running up a bill of hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars with international roaming. And so we've taken each one of these insights and we've been able to act on it. Now, we've got to do that in a smart and thoughtful and disciplined kind of a way, not because we're just trying to enhance shareholder value. That's important. But what we're trying to do is earn the right to be able to do that again, that if we can continue to bring customer innovation to the marketplace, solve real pain points for customers, and we can do that in a thoughtful way, we'll have an opportunity to continue on this journey of breaking more and more um, barriers down to, you know, what everybody needs. I mean, you know, really, when you think about people that are between, gosh, I mean, the ages of 10 and 100, um, nobody doesn't have a mobile wireless device. Nobody doesn't carry a smartphone now. It's so ingrained into how we live our lives. And so the utility of it is incredibly important. And what we've got to do is what we feel very strongly within our company is to elevate that experience and enrich that experience in ways that our customers deserve. John, you have such a large and diverse customer base. And so as you're getting that feedback, how do you kind of distill down the common issues in order to make the decisions that we need to do this or or we need to do that? One of the things that we've been very successful in over the years is playing in the top 100 markets. And when you think about New York City and LA and Chicago, the big, huge markets around the country, we've been very successful there. Over the last three years, what we've been doing is we've had a corporate priority and a public declaration that we're going to be expanding into smaller markets and rural areas. And that's roughly 40% of the entire US population. We've had a very low share position there, and we're making you know nice inroads to grow our share in that position. And that that obviously is very you know different. I mean, what customers say in Manhattan, New York is very different than what they're going to say in Manhattan, Kansas. So it's important to have that telemetry to really understand what that looks like. We're still very much organized um, around regions of the country and markets of the country. One of the big things that we did last year to further enhance our listening systems is that we reorganized our retail teams, our customer care teams, and our network teams around a similar common geography so that we can really listen to what New Yorkers need in the five boroughs of New York City and what people in Alabama need or the people in northern Nevada need. And we're trying to make sure that we're being really responsive to those local areas and those local geographies with all the information, all the data, and all the telemetry that we have around the customer experience. So you're looking across your customer base to figure out in the in the different regions what are their unique needs in order to address those needs but at the same time you have a common set of service offerings right so therefore they have to roll up into a a common set of building blocks which again i have to imagine is really hard given the breadth and the diversity of your customer base 
I kind of believe I subscribe to a, a philosophy that, you know, every market is the same and every market is different. Every person is the same and every person is different. So there's core foundational things that I think everybody wants in their wireless service. Of course, they want the most value that they can possibly have. They want the best product and network experience that they can possibly have. And then they want the best customer experience that they can possibly have. And I think that's shared by everybody across the entire country. Now, how we go about about that in very specific places across very specific markets is a little bit different. So for example, if you're thinking about, you know, Boston, you know, one of the things that we have to do is we have to make sure that our coverage is superior and our overall network performance is superior at Fenway Park. Um, if you're here in, I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth today, if you're here in Dallas-Fort Worth, you got to make sure that, you know, the sporting events here and some of the downtown areas here are superior, as well as the um, suburbs that are exploding at the edges of Dallas-Fort Worth that are some of the fastest growing population areas in the entire country. What are we doing with that? So you definitely have, you know, building blocks that are the same no matter what in some of those elements that I just described. But when you think about our business and how our product comes to life in ways that people are counting on, where they live, where they work, where they play, that's obviously going to be very different geographically across the country. And that's why having that local intelligence, you can get so much information from data, and that's great. But if you're not careful, you can just kind of lose, you know, the customer sentiment and the averages. And what we always try to do is we're trying to de-average the averages and get closer to the customers in local areas and bring them the things that they want. So the data is obviously extremely important, but it sounds like you're also trying to really get a, a feel for what customers require. And then in these different areas or different segments of, of your very diverse customer base, and then correct me if I'm wrong, that then becomes the glue or, or the driver for how you make these decisions. This is a national marketplace in terms of like how customers buy wireless products and services. It's very much a national marketplace. Um, but when you think about how consumers are in small businesses and enterprises are using it, some of that's it's different by local geography and sometimes it's different by customer segment as well. Whether that be, you know, some of your traditional segments of, you know, of age, of ethnicity, of, you know, whatever um, other kind of segment that you can, you know, you can dice these segments up, you know, in lots and lots of different micro segments. And so we're always looking at that as well. And how can we serve very specific communities that might have unique needs even better in the future? Check out CXOTalk.com. We have amazing shows coming up. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our website. John, what keeps you up at night? Your your technology T-Mobile's technology performance is doing well, your financial performance. So what what keeps you up at night? I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, next year will be my 30th year in the wireless industry and as a part of T-Mobile and all the legacy companies prior to T-Mobile. So uh, I've been doing this a long time. And the thing that keeps me up at night is not um, not you know, just kind of like making sure that we're doing the core business better. You know, we're great at that. Um, our world is changing very quickly all around us. You know, lots of new technology and, you know, it wouldn't be a great interview if I didn't say AI, um, but the use of artificial intelligence and all the large language models and what are we doing with data to go and really serve our customers better, the that's changing. 
And what we've got to do um, as a as a company, as a team, and as individuals is we got to stay relevant and contemporary with the changing times. And that's one of the things that I'm always asking myself that it's great what we did yesterday, but am I am I as skilled as my team is skilled? Are we as I'm equipped to go and serve the ever-changing needs of customers tomorrow and being able to take advantage of these emerging technologies that are rapidly being deployed across the landscape today. Are we as equipped to be able to do that? That's one. Two, um, we talked about it a little bit. We have a diversifying customer base. I have a very diversified employee base. I lead um, about two-thirds of the workforce here at T-Mobile. We've got about 70,000 employees or so. I lead about two-thirds of them. And how I think about, in a world that's becoming more polarized, you know, when you think about um, every topic has a lot of polarity to it, and how we can make sure that we're appealing to all of our customers and to all of our employees and doing that with, um, you know, with excellence is something else that I think about a lot. Um, And then I would just tell you that, you know, for us, as a company, we were we were always the underdog. We were always kind of looking up at you know at the the big carriers and like, man, how are we gonna how are we gonna compete against this massive scale? Well, what we've been able to do is we've been able to go from underdog to leader in this incredible space. And for us, how we think about it at T-Mobile is not necessarily how are we going to be scrappy and, you know, continue to like, you know, chase the big guys. You know, we're already larger than AT&T um, and, you know, and and the fastest growing wireless company in the space and it had been for some time. Now, as a position from a leadership perspective, what are we going to do to continue to lead this business, to bring more technology in and to not only change it for our customers, but the way that we've thought about it over the last 10 years Success is bringing this innovation and these great experiences to our customers, but also compelling our competitors to follow our lead. Because, you know, for us, if AT&T or Verizon or any other competitor copies us, we find that to be, you know, a big success. That's really interesting. So from an innovation standpoint, you're trying to drive change, but one of the guideposts that you look at, so to speak, is is the industry now following you? 10 years ago, it was just, ha, 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 people just laughing at us in terms of, you know, that's what happens when you're a small person. I mean, you look up and say, we're going to go take these people on and we're going to go change this thing. Um, and, you know, our uh, we've had colorful ways of describing that over the last decade or so. And now I think we've proven that we can do that. And for us, it really is change in this industry. Um, you know, when you think about our mission of being the best in the world at connecting customers to their world, we take that incredibly seriously. Um, that when you think about You know, you can't go from here to there without your smartphone. You can't really do your work anymore without your smartphone for the, you know, uh, majority of the people in this country. Um, The majority of children who are going to school, they can't do their their work without having their schoolwork and their homework without having a connection to the Internet from their smartphone. Our friends, our work, our hobbies— any of our interests are connected through the gateway of a smartphone. And, you know, when you sever that connection or if that connection's not working as well, you know, that's real consequences in people's lives. And so we take that role incredibly seriously. And like I said, not just for the 118 million people that we have the privilege of serving today, but for the, you know, over 300 million people in this country who have smartphones, we want to make this a better industry for everybody. 
of course, you have the body of data, but you're also kind of personalizing it or empathizing with the the experience of the of individual consumers. So it looks like it sounds to me like you're kind of looking at it from both ends. The hallmark of our brand has been has been really the latter of of you know taking our incredible people. I have you know I'm biased by this, Michael. I'll just admit I have the best customer facing team on the face of the planet. I'm very biased by that. But I would I would challenge anyone to find a customer facing team in our retail stores and our customer experience centers that are better than my team. Now what we want to be able to do is we want to take data and technology and help them enhance their experiences, not just to have them do the clerical transaction skills of having superior access to computers that customers might not have, but rather to be able to put more information and more power into our people's hands to better serve our customers. For example, when you call one of our customer experience centers, first of all, probably a great experience is you don't have to call us at all because we didn't cause a problem. That would be a great experience. We have a lot of measurements about how we're um, you know, bringing down contacts per account, not for financial purposes, but for experience purposes. But when you do call, we, are, we have a huge ambition around making sure that we're taking all this data today between customer interaction data, between billing data, and between um, network data, being able to orchestrate that data in a meaningful way that gives our frontline people superpowers that probably tells them what the customer is calling about before the expert even says hello. We got a lot of work that we're doing around that, but that's one huge piece. When a customer walks into a store, an existing customer walks into a store, we ought to know, you know, we, we need to know their journey and our people need to be equipped with data and with insights and with the orchestration of that data to be able to help them. But, you know, there's nothing more frustrating to people that when they're working with a large company, and I'm sure you or I mean, some of your viewers have had this experience. If you have an issue and you're working with a large company and you get bounced around from place to place and you're always having to start over and repeat your story, nothing more frustrating. I mean, in today in 2023, about to be 2024, that should be coming to an end. And we want to lead and pioneer that. But just doing that and only that I don't think is enough. What you have to have is you have to have incredible customer-loving people with a spirit to serve. And if you can pair them and equip them with that data, you can do incredible things that our customers deserve. We actually have a, a question on LinkedIn relating to this data question. The, the broader topic, and this is from Tim Henderlight, and the broader topic is how you use data and AI and personalization to craft more relevant offerings. He also wants to go down pretty deep into the weeds uh, on this, but any any comments on on the use of the data to model customers to, to do a better job with customer experience in summary? 
that's how we're thinking about things in terms of of contextualized, you know, contextualizing that data, personalizing it on an individual basis might that might drive a lot of complexity, um, particularly for a company that serves you know 118 million customers today. But if you could think about contextualizing um, that data and being able to market to our customers to be able to serve our customers with things that would actually enhance their experience. I mean, nothing hates you know all of us hate getting pitched things that have nothing to do with what we need. I mean, come on, like, you know, nobody wants that. But if we can think about, all right, here's what customers have today in their relationship with us. Here are the things that, based on what we know about them, um, here are the things that would enhance and enrich their overall relationship with us, the things that they can actually get utility for. And if we can bring the right value propositions, you know, with those products and solutions, then that's a beautiful thing. But like, that's something very different than like, I got the next thing that I need to sell to you because, you know, um, that that's, that's, you know, that's, years and years ago. Like we've got to bring people, we've got to bring things to people that that really, really matter and that enrich their relationships. And if companies can figure that out, then that's going to be the difference between successful companies and not so successful companies in the future. So again, really understanding what it is that the customers want, because if you don't know that, then how can you craft solutions that they will actually care about? You're just putting stuff in front of them that they could care less about, and and then they're just going to completely ignore you. Um, and then 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 if you were to figure that out in the future, then you've already kind of you've already lost a little bit of trust and a little bit of credibility with the customers by serving them information or serving them solutions that have no meaning in their lives whatsoever. So it's very, very careful that we, you know, that you, it's very important and you have to be very careful to get this right. And um, there's a lot of this that we're doing already, but there's so much more that we want to do around this. And again, it's really around the customer experience. And, you know, like when you think about how many people, you know, all of us could probably relate to this, that we're spending probably a little bit too much screen time staring at our phones and our tablets and, you know, whatever social media that you're looking at from Facebook, to LinkedIn, to TikTok, to whatever. And you've got all kinds of information that's being um, presented to you. The things that matter, you're you're like, okay, well, that's, that's thank you. Uh, and the things that don't matter, then, okay, well, you're totally annoyed. And so, um, you know, how you do that and all of the mechanics and the, um, the orchestration behind being able to make that work is super important and what a lot of people within T-Mobile are working on. We have two questions on LinkedIn from Brian Perlis, who says, first off, congrats on the Rangers winning the World Series. So congrats on the Rangers winning the World Series. <laughs> thank you Series. for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I got to tell you, I'm a lifelong uh, Texas Rangers fan. I've been, I'm, I'm almost 49 years old. I think the Rangers have been a team since 1971. I was born in 75. And like all my life, I have been kind of, you know, not seeing the Rangers win a World Series. So when they won, um, you know, the night before last, I was going to go to game six tonight, but since they won in game five, you know, it's okay. Brian Perlis says, number one, talk about personal. He says, why did you discontinue sync up pets? And are you going to replace it? That's pretty, pretty down in the weeds, but obviously he likes sync up pets. We have a whole SyncUp product line, which is basically, um, you know, you have SyncUp Drive, you've had SyncUp Pets, we've got a couple of other products and services around the SyncUp product line. 
And we want to bring, we want to be able to do more there. Um, I would say that that's the promise of the 5G ecosystem. You know, in the LTE era and 4G, there was some things that we could do there. But now with the proliferation of the 5G networks, and now that we've brought, you know, 5G ultra capacity, which is that, you know, really fast, you know, um, um, uh, two and a half gigahertz spectrum. I don't want to geek out too much, but two and a half gigahertz spectrum to 300 million people around the country. We have a lot of aspirations around this particular area. So um, on Sika Pets, there's more things that we want to do. We've always kind of struggled a little bit with that product. It was a little bit too big. The battery life wasn't as good. We've got integration with the app that we want to do differently. Rather than have multiple sync up apps, we need to have one app um, where all of this works in concert with one another. So there's a lot of work that our teams are doing on this. So um, just stay tuned on sync up pets or sync up fill in the blank because there's a lot of hard work that uh, people are working on that product line. His other question is broader, and he says, what can T-Mobile do to help protect our youth so parents don't have to constantly worry about what's happening with their kids on social media sites like TikTok? I'm the parent of uh, two teenagers, and I've got the same concern. And, you know, the, the it's it's a dangerous world out there. There's a lot of great benefits that we all know that smartphones and mobile technology has brought. And then with the rise of social media over the last two decades, there's also some some danger out there as well. And the more that we can, uh, you know, we we put a whole on carrier move around Scam Shield um, a couple of years ago and all the scam and, you know, people just being taken advantage of by all these scammers and bilking people out of you know billions if not tens of billions of dollars and we 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 saw a huge opportunity there and we put some innovation with the invention of scam shield to help you know go and combat that same thing in this particular area we're spending a little bit of time thinking about this want to probably do even more around this because as you think about and I just mentioned it a few moments ago that you know so many children are getting their first phone you know call it third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in that. Some, some, probably a little less than that might be a little bit too much, but some parents might want to, you know, be a little bit more into the junior high, middle, middle school. Um, but we, we feel a deep responsibility to help and um, help parents and help our customers in any way that we can to promote the safety and security of our youth. What I also find fascinating is at its heart, you're a mobile network, which means you're a technology company. Yet, as we see from these questions, there are very immediate social implications that come up. And so how do you how do you think about that link between the technology of what you actually do and the social ramifications and responsibilities? It's a huge ecosystem that we're a part of. If it was just bringing, you know, information to people, that'd be one thing. But a huge inf- um, ecosystem that we're a part of here. We have a lot of debate and a lot of discussion as a senior leadership team around these kinds of, you know, any kind of innovation that we're bringing to the marketplace, any kind of changes that we're bringing to the marketplace. What, you know, here's all the positive benefits, of course, but what are some pot- potential implications um, around those changes or around those new product launches um, that we got to think through? And so we have a lot of discussion around this. Um, we get a lot of inf- um, uh, insight and information and advice from uh, not only within, you know, teams within our company, but um, also people outside of the company, um, our board. Um, we're also, you know, we're, 
majority owned as T-Mobile US by Deutsche Telekom. And uh, lots of information and uh, idea sharing that we have with Deutsche Telekom across across the pond in Europe. And so it's, I don't know if I have a good, like one size fits all answer, but it's such an important question and one that we wrestle around with just to make sure that what we're bringing to the marketplace, that we have the responsibility and the foresight to bring you know, responsible um, technology um, and making sure that the application of that technology is doing good in society versus harm. So you definitely have a stance on that the implications of the technology and your role in that broader social context. Sounds like that's very important to you. I think it is. It has to be. Um, any company of our size, any um, you know relevant uh, major player like we are in this space, you have to contemplate those things. And um, you know, if not, then um, I think that's a real problem. So this is from Elizabeth Shaw, a very thoughtful question. She says, in order to improve customer experience, what changes to operations and organization were necessary and also the impact on employee experience? I don't think you can talk about um, being a champion of the customer experience without first being a champion of the employee experience. And this is something that's incredibly important to, um, to Mike uh, Siebert, who's our CEO, to me, to our leadership team, to ensure that that overall employee experience can be as great as it can be. There's always, you, you can never do enough around this. And we have a, a list a mile long of things that we want to do to enhance that employee experience. But you know, for us, you know, what we try to do is we try to make sure that we're in front of our employees as much as we possibly can be. Um, you know, just um, you know, last week I was in uh, New York City and was able to talk to a number of people that I was hoping to be in our Oakland, Maine customer experience center. But um, unfortunately, there was um, some tragedy in, in Oakland, Maine last week, and I wasn't able to get there. But um, I try to get to a customer experience center, usually one to two per month, and get in front of our entire employees, five, six, seven, eight hundred people, a couple of our sites, as many as a thousand people, and get right in front of them and help them understand where we're going and why we're going where we're going, but also have an open-ended um town hall where they can ask me questions and put me and kind of hold me accountable to their experiences. You know, there's nothing that I love more than to help people understand where we're going and again, why we're going where we're going. And then somebody to say, yeah, but that's not quite happening here. And here's our real experience. That gives us instant information that then we can, we have a choice. We can just do nothing with that or we can go and make changes with that. We try to get information. We don't want to like change things up every five minutes and confuse the organization. But if there's something that needs to be changed and something's not quite right, you know, we go and try to turn around a solution in 24 hours. And that way it reinforces within the organization that employee voices are important, they're heard, and they're acted upon. And then when they're acted upon and we're being just as much um, as uh, urgent around the employee experience, then it really connects with our frontline employees about why we should be urgent around our customer experience. I've got a saying within our company, I've been saying this for a long time, that there's two types of people at T-Mobile, those that serve customers and those who serve those who serve customers. 
We're in one of the two buckets, either you're serving customers directly or you're serving those who serve customers. And so what I try to do within our leadership team and around our support team is to really make sure that we're serving those who are serving customers, get their feedback, be incredibly responsive, be incredibly urgent with that feedback and make sure that the employee experience is the very best it possibly can be. And that includes ensuring that we have the right leaders at all levels of the organization. We have a lot of intensity around you know, leadership competencies and how we're performing against those competencies and what we need to be doing to build skill sets to further those competencies for our leaders in an effort to continue to support those frontline employees. So those frontline employees are providing an incredible experience to our customers. If we were to pull back the curtain on meetings that take place inside T-Mobile, how much is this customer experience theme explicitly raised and discussed? Every Monday at one o'clock Pacific, I have a business review with all of our top vice presidents across our retail teams, across our customer care teams, across our operations teams, our marketing teams, and our financial planning and analysis team. So it's a real cross-functional group of leaders that um, are charged with delivering the growth outcomes, the financial outcomes, and the overall customer experience outcomes. The first thing we start with in this meeting is what's happening in the customer experience. The very first thing we start with, before we get to how are sales going and how are our net ads doing and how are the revenues and you know how are the you know earning the, the overall um, cash flows and margins and EBITDAs and all that stuff, we'll get to that. But like we're gonna start our meeting and be fixated around what's happening in the customer experience and why is it happening. So our top customer experience leader starts the meeting with real metrics around those things and gives us um, insight into what's happening, not just to read out the news, but also to report out on these are the two or three top themes that we're hearing from our customers. Here's the work that's in motion, and here are the things that we've decided and the things that are going to get implemented to enhance the customer experience. It's a huge huge part of our operating rhythm and something that, uh, you know, we're just fanatical about. It sounds like a very uh, intelligent approach because after all, your customers are what is going to drive financial performance at the end of the customers and employees at the end of the day. If you're focused on that up front, then what I have found, and you know, this has just been my experience across the last three decades, is it's amazing how the rest of the things are downstream from that, and they're just so much easier. So, you know, all of your sales performance and your net performance, and you know, in our business, we you know we have net accounts and net ads and um, ARPUs, average revenue per unit, and ARPAs, average revenue per account, and you know, all those things. It's just amazing how much easier those things are if you can really stay focused up front. Um, just staying focused up front and only being focused on that, it's not, to, you know, that you got to do a little bit more than that. But it is amazing how easier it is that if you can ensure that the experience of your team is where it needs to be, they're equipped to provide incredible experiences to our customers and customers are happier customers than they're out there evangelizing and promoting your brand. It's amazing how much easier a business is when those things, you know, obviously are not working in your favor. This is from LinkedIn and from Cash Medi, who says, in your strategy, how do you package specific experiences for your target audience? How do you segment the audience? And how do you track the performance by segment? And what are the key elements of that 
segmentation and target audience uh, structure and tracking? We do look at that. We're looking at target audiences. We're looking at, you know, different segments of customers. Um, and some of those are geographic segments. Those are some different attributes by each one of the different customer segments. And then we're looking at key performance indicators and overall measurements within each one of those segments to ensure that we're appealing to them. Um, sometimes we're, you know, we have offers or promotions or value propositions that are really appealing to one particular segment and might not be to another. Or, you know, in our business, this is a this is a direct kind of head-to-head competition business. Um, you know, every single day we're out there, you know, fighting for um, share. Our competitors are out there fighting. It's an intense competitive business that, as you guys have seen, if you're not part of this business, you know, just just watch some, you know, watch some football games on Sunday and you can see how crazy competitive this business is with all of our ads that take up the majority of the space between us and the, you know, and the, uh, the, the insurance guys. So it's a very, very competitive business. And anytime competitors do something in that might be targeting one segment, then we've got that baked into the telemetry as well so that we can understand where we're gaining share, potentially losing share for a second, and what might we need to do from an adjustment uh, perspective. Sometimes we might say, you know, we're not going to do something for, um, you know, these reasons. Sometimes we say, you know, we're going to do something, you know, very deliberately and very drastically, you know, for these different set of reasons. But we have a lot of telemetry that's baked into how we look at each one of those segments and how the performance is shaping up for each one of those segments. We have another question on Twitter from Arsalan Khan, who's a regular listener. He always asks very thoughtful questions. Arsalan says this, for customer success, is there a distinct relationship between the success of internal customers, namely employees, and how do you measure both? So I think he's trying to get the link between internal employee success and external employee success and the measurements. When I think about our journey um, for the last three decades, we've had great times and we've had some tougher times. And those tougher times, when you look at customer results, they're often correlated to having a tougher time with employee results. So we're looking at a variety of things. You know, we're looking at overall engagement and what's happening there. Um, we've got several things. We have a, um, you know, kind of an employee satisfaction survey that we do multiple times per year. And it's looking across a number of uh, indices and a lot of dimensions. And engagement for me is the number one thing I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking for, you know, emotional connectivity that drives the kind of engagement that we're looking for and that it makes sure that people feel like they have purpose, they have belonging, and they can have impact. Because you know, when you think about companies that are struggling, generally what you have is you have a set of employees that have lost their purpose, that have lost their belonging, they don't understand how they can contribute, they don't understand their impact, and before you know it, you don't have an emotional connection to their work or an emotional connection to their company, you have transactional employment. And then when you have transactional employment, you you can find yourself in a very difficult place. Um, what we want to make sure that we have is we want to make sure that we have an emotional connectivity that drives an engagement and that engagement drives maximum discretionary effort and voluntary cooperation, the height of voluntary cooperation, particularly in a company that has you know, lots of 
and like most companies, lots and lots of functions, and you're looking for cross-functional coordination and cross-functional cooperation to enhance the customer experience. Because you know, some of you know that if you work for large companies, you can find yourself siloed in functions, and you can find yourself kind of executing the mission and the agenda of your function only, and you can lose sight of the customer really fast. And it's really important that you have this voluntary cooperation and this cross-functional engagement. We have a lot of a lot of uh, measurements that help us understand that, and we spend a lot of time talking about that um, as a team as well. It's incredibly important. Um, and like I said, um, we've had you know great times with that. We've had tougher times with that. And uh, you know, I would say you know John Ledger and Mike Sievert, um, you know, our then CEO and our current CEO, has shown us the way on this so many times that um, you know it's ingrained with me and something that I'll forever carry forward. Correct me if I'm wrong here. That for you, yes, there's the data, there's the scale, there's all of that. But your personal drive is to develop this empathetic, almost feeling for whether it's your internal uh, employee stakeholder or whether it's an external customer, to so the, so that it's personal, that the 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 human aspect. That's my sense from you. When you think about customers who who absolutely love their brand, I mean, any of you who are listening, think about a brand that you just love. And that brand that you love probably is, is attributed to several things. It's attributed to a great value. It's attributed to a superior quality. But it's also attributed to an incredible experience, an incredible physical experience with people, an incredible digital experience so that when your you know, stores are closed or service centers are closed, and it might be one in the morning, and that's the only time you have because you had to put the children to sleep, or perhaps you have a newborn, and you just you have a whole chaotic life. You want that digital experience to be great as well. But for me, when you think about um, the companies that people love the most is because those companies care. Those companies have taken a personal interest in you. Those companies are committed to helping you live a better life. They're not here just to get more money out of you. They're not here to just enrich shareholders. They're here to make a difference in people's lives. And for a company like ours that has tens of thousands of people that serve our customers, it's a hallmark between success and a lack of success. And I've seen it time and time again with our company or other kinds of brands that I deeply respect. And then when you know I look at other companies or other brands that might not be as successful, almost always, not, not entirely always, but almost always, that's the difference between one successful company and one successful brand and perhaps others. So simple, actually caring. It's crazy how simple it is. Of course, you know, technology and, you know, the way that we're serving customers and all of that's changing. And you can't just like, I care a lot and hopefully that's going to work. You've got to leverage all of that and harness all of that and be super smart about that. But just doing that and only that without what we're talking about, I personally don't think it's near enough. Another question, Tim Henderlite comes back on LinkedIn and he wants to know what changes have you seen in the wireless industry, positive and negative? I started with our company today. As I mentioned, we have 118 million customers. I started with the predecessor company of Western Wireless. We had 75,000 customers. I was 19 years old. I had a head full of hair. I was a lot thinner. I was going to school and I have seen I mean, everything changed in this wireless industry and how people are using. I mean, when I started, um, landlines were a necessity and cell phones were a luxury. 
And when you think about today, you know, also when I started, you called places, you didn't call people. Now my children have no concept that you would ever call a place. You always call a person. And they have no concept of why anybody ever would ever have a landline phone. I mean, I was selling pagers too when I started out in this business um, and leaving my you know business card as a um, starving 19-year-old sales rep, leaving my business card on payphones so I can get people to drop pagers and adopt cell phones. And so when you think about a world like that, that wasn't all that long ago, by the way. That was in the mid-90s. Moving from that to where we are today and where this world is going, oh, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. And I would tell you that as a personal story, and I know we're running out of time, but I, I fell in love with our business on a horrible day, the most horrific day that this country has ever had on September 11th of 2001. And the reason I fell in love with our business is because the products and the services that I was selling was helping people connect in ways that I never thought imaginable. You know, people that were calling and their family members and saying, I'm okay, or perhaps calling their family members for the very last time. And that night on September 11th of 2001, I fell in love with our business because our business matters. And I can see where the industry was going and the importance of communications and the mobile communications that we were bringing. I could see the huge impact. And to me, um, when the highlight of my career is being able to be parts of being able to be a part of a story that enhances communication and enhances people. Now, like I said a few moments ago, there can be dangers of technology, and we got to make sure that we manage that, and we got to think about that, and be very responsible around that. But you know, to me, if I had a chance to change anything over the last thirty years in terms of my career and in terms of my ability to be a part of this business, there's not one single thing I would change because it's been truly a blessing. Can we take one more very, very quickly? I'll ask you just to answer this real fast because uh, it's a good question. Again, from Cash Maddie, who says, what is the most critical expectation that you have from data leaders, from, ex for example, chief data officers to be successful as a company and your leadership? Really quickly. Orchestration. There's lots and lots of data. We have data lakes that are disconnected from one another. Depends on your IT architecture and your data sets that you have within your own company. But the number one thing that I'm looking for from people is the orchestration of that and being able to make sense of data so that I can apply that to enhance our customers' experience. Okay. And with that, we are out of time. A huge thank you to John Fryer from T-Mobile. John, thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. Thank you. And thanks to all your viewers. And thanks to everybody who watched, especially those folks who asked such great questions. You guys, you guys are an amazing audience. Check out CXOTalk.com. We have amazing shows coming up. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our website. And we'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.